he said something that I think is one of the reasons why I've been able to grow my Twitter account the way it is right now. And it seems so simple. He's like, just be timely. He doesn't have anything on the scheduler or whatever it is, but he's just like, be timely, be kind of like in touch with what the times are at that moment of time. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talked to Dan Go. Dan was a college dropout, overweight and in debt. He turned around his life when he went to the gym. He left his corporate job and now has a successful business running his own health and fitness coaching program. He helps high achievers get the body that fits their reputation. In this episode, you'll learn how to set up your own successful coaching business while building a huge following on Twitter. My name is Yannick, co-founder at Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. I literally like a weekday of mine would look like sitting on a couch, eating a bag of chips, playing video games, or I would go out with my friends and just get drunk, like plastered drunk. I dropped out of high school. All my parents and my brothers and my sisters were like, this guy is going to go nowhere. And at the same time, I was racking up credit card debt. I had credit card debt for like a good 10 years. And I was just like, you know, credit card debt is like poison. You know, it's just slow poison if you just keep on racking it up. So Lo and behold, my mom made my dad go to the gym and start working out. And then when I saw my dad going to the gym and starting to work out, I was just like, that's kind of cool. I didn't really think anything of it. And then he came out with this like one month pass. My brother was actually supposed to take it. He came out with a one month pass and I was doing nothing all day. So I was just like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll hit the gym and maybe I'll see some girls and pick some girls up or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> and then I ended up loving it. Like I went into gym and I just did everything horribly. My form was bad. I was doing the wrong things. But lo and behold, like two weeks later, I lost an inch off of my waist. And from there, I got hooked. And then I just went down the rabbit hole after that. And I have to say that fitness changed my life. I wouldn't be here without fitness from both a spiritual, mental, and a physical aspect. Hmm. And if it wasn't for fitness, then I, we would not be on this podcast together whatsoever. Well, so, uh, so yeah, it changed my life immensely. It's funny because I went to the gym for, that was probably over 10 years ago. Uh, two weeks ago, I visited Sammy in Paris and he took me to the gym and we did exercise together, squats and bench press or whatever. And now I'm hooked as well. So nice. I, I took a subscription to the gym and I'm actually going together with my girlfriend and she's also loving it. So yeah, you can immediately see a difference, you know, uh, also in her, she's enjoying life more. She's more, you know, relaxed and it's just, it's just great. There's no way you could be like, sad if you go to the gym on a regular basis it's, it's hard yeah. it's hard man but yeah i always look at it like this my best stuff comes my best ideas my tweets whatever it is it comes from like a session in the gym my brain is just like popping like crazy whenever i'm in there so it's great and so after the month what happened so okay you saw you lost an inch uh you got hooked what did you do then uh so i wasn't making enough money to actually afford a gym membership because that month was like completely free and then at that time as well, I was like bouncing from one job to another. And I did settle on like a nine to five corporate job in which I could afford a, a membership. And during that time, I was actually going to college as well. I was going to community college in Canada and I was trying to get my business administration degree or whatever that is. I, I forgot what it was. And then I was about maybe like, I think it was like four credits before I was about to graduate, something like that. And then my mom goes through the, her 
an entire health ordeal mm-hmm. that lasts for about six months. And long story short, six months, we thought that she was going to make a full recovery. And it just turns out that uh, one thing led to another and she unfortunately passed away. Wow. So I'm when so she passed, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know what, when you lose someone, so from such a long time ago, you've gone through kind of like the grieving and all that kind of stuff. And now when I look at that moment, that was the moment that transformed my life because when she passed away, that was like a safety net that just got taken away from me. And it also made me realize how fragile life is, how easily it can get taken away in a snap. And she was like 50, she was in her low 50s at that time. And if I'm thinking about it, like I'm 40. If I were to cut it at 50, whatever it is, I have 10 more years left. And we have to realize that like life is pretty fragile. It can get taken away at any time. So I had a choice at that time when my mom passed away and I looked at it as like, I can let this burn me or I can use this as fuel to do something that I'm actually passionate for. I actually had two choices. I was going to travel the world and teach English in Japan, or I was going to go full force into fitness. And I applied for Japan twice, but I didn't have my high school diploma or a college diploma. So they rejected me twice. And I was just like, God damn it. I really (laughs) wanted to travel. But afterwards I got, I applied for a job as a personal trainer and I never looked back ever since. And during that time, I was just starting, it's just so much questioning of things, right? Especially when someone so close to you passes away, you start to question life a little bit. You start to question, what is your place in this life? Uh, What am I doing? Where am I going? And at that time, I was working for like a nine to five corporate job that I hated I was working out and I was just like, you know what? Life is short. If I'm going to go for something, I'm going to go for it right now. So yeah, I have to say that was the catalyst of where I'm at right now. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if like she was still living, if I'd be where I am at this very moment, because, you know, I just don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the way life is. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started working out. You probably didn't apply for a personal training job like in the second month or how how did that go? I didn't apply for the personal training job in the second month. So what happened was in my corporate job, they're moving, right? So they're like doing a relocation out to um, this place. I was like 45 minutes away from my home. And I was left with a choice. It's like, you guys can move with us or we'll give you like this, like tiny severance and whatever. And that was like literally the time I was going through this existential crisis. And I went through my cost benefit analysis of staying with them. I'm like, I'm like done. I'll risk whatever I got and I'll, I'll put it all on black. I'll, I'll take a hundred dollars and I'll go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was like almost 20 years ago. Like personal training was not how it is now. It was not, it was known as a side job. It was known as a side gig. It, people weren't making money off of it. It was before the internet. So when I went, everyone's just like, Dan, I'm really concerned about you. I think you need to like, you know, take a step back and reconsider everyone. I even had one of my closest friends. He's like, Hey, if I paid you a hundred grand to move boxes, would you do it? And you know, as a 25 year old, I'm like, of course I would. Right. But then I, it's like, so why don't you do that? And I was like, well, I just can't because this is what I want to do. So yeah, I actually loved it. The fact that everyone was telling me I couldn't do it. I loved it. Fueled it fueled you. Yeah. It was like adding logs to the fire. 
Yeah. And it was great because my dad actually did one thing that, that set up almost like a blaze or set me off at a blaze. He said, hey, I'll give you two years, okay? I'll give you two years. Mm-hmm. If you can't figure it out, you come back and you work for me, but I'll give you two years to figure it out. So I was like, okay, dad. He paid for your oh, like, no, living no, no. no, no. Well, I was living with him. He, he was basically, you know, I was, I think I posted this way back then. I was like, I, I was like 29 when I left my house, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, he let me, he put food on the table, put a roof over my head, but I just had to support myself otherwise. And so you started when you were 25 and then started probably for a couple of hours a week as a personal trainer. Did, did you like get hired by a gym or were you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My first step was like working for a gym and getting my reps up with clients and stuff. And uh, literally, I started by spending 12 hours a day in the gym just to make myself seen and just to like get clients and whatever. But it was fun, man. You know, like that's the thing. It's like the 12 hours didn't seem like a lot because when you're doing something and you're grinding and you're grinding for a purpose, it just seems like it doesn't mean anything. Time is a a self-made illusion. So the way I kind of looked at it was just... I'm going to do whatever I can to be the best trainer that I can possibly be. And then within like six months time, they bumped me up to like one of the elite status of trainers because I was like the most passionate about it. And after about one year's time, I was one of the top trainers at that place in terms of sales, clients, all this kind of stuff. After two years, you can only learn so much. So I decided to leave, go off on my own and start doing like one-on-one training at other people's places. It was weird because I was literally like taking my dumbbells in a basket, just like going from one place to another. That was one of the first times where I realized that I was seriously trading time for money, like to a large degree. And uh, I was not only trading time for money, I was also trading like energy for money because to train people, it's hard. Like people don't realize that, but you have to be aware. At that time, I was just like, I'm sick of one-on-one training. I think it's stupid. I want to know what the next opportunity is. And the next opportunity was actually doing what we call like body transformation centers. In North America, they're all the rage. I think they may be in the UK as well. But I started my own gym. Hmm. And that wasn't wasn't the, the dream, to be honest. But I basically got like one group to start working out with me. And it kept on getting bigger and bigger. We still, we kept on trying to find bigger locations until the point where we actually got our own location. And we started to grow in there. Then we outgrew that location. And then we started to grow in a, in a way bigger location. But that business I sold in December of 2018. And in January of 2018, you started your Twitter account. Yeah. Well, you know what? I would say, like, I would say the Twitter account was like probably five months ago. It's so, like born the same as my daughter. I probably started that Twitter account just to like placehold some like domain names, you know, just to make sure I, I have them. But yeah, for the past like five months, I've been on Twitter right now and it's been a trip. It's been amazing. Wow. Yeah. I get to wow. talk to guys like you. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. be better. Couldn't be better. And so you started January 2018, but you know, nothing serious. You didn't tweet a lot. No, not then, at all. Yeah. And then for the past five, six months, that's when you really started to grind. And then how many followers did you have like six months ago? Six months ago at zero. Really? A- absolute zero. Yeah. Wow. So... In all transparency, I had a Twitter account before that was growing, but this is like years ago. I made the biggest mistake in my first Twitter account to buy followers. (laughs) That was the biggest mistake and the biggest learning lesson of my life when it comes to social media. 
So you had 10,000 followers, but no engagement. I had like 5,000. I bought 5,000 followers, but zero engagement, right? It's like, it was horrible. And then that just like demotivated me. And then I put most of my efforts towards Facebook and my business at that time. And then uh, come like five months ago, you know, COVID hits. So I was just like, well, I have all this time. So why don't I just grow this Twitter account? So I contacted Ed Lattimore because he was doing some mentorship and uh, got mentorship with Ed. And then long story short, here we are. Nice. I actually also had some mentorship from Ed. (laughs) It was nice. He's a really smart guy, man. He improved my uh, tweeting a lot. It's, uh, It's really great. Yeah, Ed's a mentor of mine, and um, he's just like cut my time of learning into, I don't even know, not even half, but obviously like I have like however many followers I have right now, and I have to say that Ed has like almost expedited the amount of growth that I have incurred right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're almost at 28,000 followers. Almost. Yeah. Wow. And so- you sold your business before COVID hit, probably. What, what is it? That was December 2018. That's so that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like... It was right there, you know. It was right there. Good, good timing. And yeah. so and what did you do after selling your business? So before I was selling my business, I already knew what I was going to get into. I already knew that I was going to help entrepreneurs. I knew that's what I wanted to jump into. I always knew that I was, it was going to be a, an online business. And I always knew that it was going to be some form of coaching that I do with the people that are in my gym. So long time ago, not a long time ago, about one year before I was about to sell, I remember having a conversation with one of my first mentors. We were actually in Mexico and it was like some mastermind retreat. I was in the Escalade with him. His name is Yuri Elkame and he's on uh, Twitter as well. He's a great guy. Hmm. Awesome. Super smart. So I remember talking to him and then... I was just like, dude, this is my situation. I hate my, like, not hate my business, but you know how businesses have a run rate, right? And at some point you're just like, well, you know, I don't really want to grow this business anymore. So I basically told him that and he was just like, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm helping entrepreneurs build out online coaching businesses. And then long story short, during the time that I was planning to sell, I was also building out that business as well. And I was taking in beta testers into the business And then by the time I was done selling the business, I took my wife on a really good honeymoon, an amazing honeymoon. And then after I got back, that's when I started to put all of my efforts towards building the online coaching business for entrepreneurs. Hmm. And this was like a year ago. Literally a year ago. We're in our second year of business and um, yeah, still growing. Well, you know, it's early, but we're still growing. And then six months ago, because gyms probably had to close as well in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Are they still closed? They are not, but I'm thinking that they're going to close soon. <laughs> yeah. Same here, man. The yeah. numbers are going up again. Yeah. 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 Wow. And so COVID hit and then gyms were closed, but you already had some clients. They probably had, you know, uh, gyms at home, stuff like that. Well, what did you do? Well, the thing about COVID when it hit was I have to say that I was just as fearful as everyone else, right? Because you just don't know what the heck is going to happen from a health perspective, from an economics perspective, from your own economics perspective. So when COVID hit, I was scared because two of my clients had dropped off. I didn't know how many more were going to drop off and people were just like holding on. And then during that time, 
I was actually going through like, okay, well, I got to pivot now or else I'm going, I don't know, my baby's just coming out in like one month. Yeah, I got to do something. So when COVID hit, the main pivot was going onto Twitter and building out my coaching business like that. If it wasn't for Twitter, my gosh, where the heck would we be right now? But wow. yeah, it was one of the best adaptions ever. How did you get coaching clients before and how, how do you get them now? So I got, I got coaching clients before through referral. The people that I help are a lot of startup founders and New York Times bestsellers. Guys who are like in the nth degree of like, I guess you could say success and achievement, like really high performers, really high achievers. So I have been friends with these guys for my whole life because I've been a part of these masterminds. One of the reasons why I started this business is because every single mastermind I went to and I, I would always see an influx of really wealthy but out of health entrepreneurs who are my friends. And I was just like, you guys can't be fat. So that's why I'm doing this, right? <laughs> so it's from like pretty much my sphere of influence in which I got my clients in the first place, you know, Facebook, I'm posting there or whatever. And then now I'm getting clients uh, just based off of attracting everyone off of Twitter. I make it a point to really just show out my work. You know, my work is before and afters. Hmm. My work is uh, just basically the metrics and everything that I track for all of my clients. So I do my best to share as much of that as possible and then just little tweaks here and there and then people are coming to me i'm not even like going anywhere to them for people who don't have like a, a circle of uh, the same type of people you are around how would you you know advise others to get coaching clients well i would say that you don't need to have a rolodex like i do right because i know people who literally started their online business with just their sphere of influence of family and friends Right. Maybe you're not going to be able to charge the amounts that I'm charging. All right. But you can still make a pretty good dollar and a pretty good living just off of the people that you know. And we all know about like three to 500 people. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm leaving out as well. You know, that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm leaving out. But in general, go to your sphere of influence first. That's like the first form of marketing right there. You don't have to attract like thousands of people to your website or whatever it is, but why don't you talk to the 500 family members and friends that are following you right now, yeah. right? And then from there, you can actually build your business. And if you can't get that done, then probably it's not for you. Get a job. That's, that's what I would say, you know, like even in my first year of business, not even, I had like maybe my Facebook account. That's it. I didn't have Twitter. I didn't have Instagram. We grossed six figures in our first year, just off of sphere of influence, wow. right? Just off of the people that were around me already and not by like reaching out to them, but actually I attracted them through the content that I was posting to the place that I was at, which was Facebook at that time. Yeah, I think that's also a good lesson for people is on your website, you know, you, they have to apply to you instead of, you know, come here, come here, you know, by, by presenting yourself in a, in a way you can attract certain type of people and you can also, you know, elevate yourself above the crowd. And that's, I guess what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Start with like the most basic person. Right. And then gently every so often you do such a good job that people will like my whole thing with my business, because it's a service-based business, I want to service people so excellently and get results so excellently that they have no choice but to talk about me to their friends, right? So if we're thinking about just like guerrilla tactics from a business perspective, 
sphere of influence and referrals are the top should be the top like the top two when you're starting a business or actually if you're bootstrapping a business like i am right they should be like number one and number two and if your service isn't excellent enough to get referrals then you know that maybe you have to work on fulfillment a little bit how did you learn to do good consulting uh, sessions or strategy sessions as you call them i have had 17 years of this business in my blood and I can like close my eyes, not even like use anything. And I could just ask you the right questions. And I could just say, I think one of my superpowers is just asking really good questions. That's all it is. But this stuff is like, it's like, have you ever heard of the German word fingerspitzenfügel or whatever yeah. that is? You know, yeah. 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 fingertip feel that like 17 years has like for me that it does that for me. So I've come to a point in my instinct where I can tell like on a person's face, if they even drop one pound off their body. I can tell in the person's face if they gained one pound or five pounds on their body. And for me, it's, it's not necessarily taking things from like one angle. So everyone kind of like uses weight as a main metric in which to determine things. I like to look at things like from a business angle, especially for my entrepreneur guys, right? So we look at KPIs. The KPIs are like measurements, are your weight, are your body fat percentage, the lifts that you're doing inside of the gym. And I take all of these metrics and I compile an assumption based on what I know of what's happening with your body. And I don't know how else I could have ever gotten there if I didn't have like 17 years experience in this field. And let's go back to, uh, to your Twitter journey. So you said like six, five, six months ago, you started, you contacted Atlantimore. Was that when you were still at zero followers? How, how, how did that go? Really, literally? Literally, I was at zero followers. Ed's, Ed posted something on his Twitter. He's like, I'm taking on some people to do mentorship with. Before that happened, I bought his uh, engagement is the new cocaine. Yeah. And um, that was great. That was a great product. And then when I contacted him and he told me what he was going to do, I was at a point where I was just like, well, I got nothing else to do, so why not? You know, and then I say this all the time, like my Twitter account was born the day my daughter was born because while I was there in the delivery room, so this is like after I signed on with it maybe a day ago and then my, my wife, she gets a contractions and then she's going through some heavy contractions really and she wants to tough it out you know like women she's like i i want to do it the natural way i want to tough it out right and then it just got to a point where it's just so painful I'm like baby take the needle like take it please <laughs> so so she took the needle and then she ends up being like okay cool she's you know just chilling on their bed she's like playing on her phone baby's still in there just contractions are going off and during the time i'm sitting on the couch lying down and then i remember posting one tweet And then Ed retweeted it. And it was just like the keys to the nuclear codes. I was like, what is happening? It's like a hundred likes and whatever. And I got a hundred followers from it, whatever. And I was like, all right, let's keep on doing this. Let's see exactly what happens. And then as I tweeted more, I just started to get the the kind of like, I guess you could say the cadence and the lingo and the, even the literation of it all. Once I got that, and once I kept on honing in these tweets, it just became something where I was like, if I have a thought, I'm just going to tweet it. And I have no qualms about that. And then after that, after Ed, I, I still got mentorship. So I remember Zuby and uh, Jose, they came out with the course. I, I watched the course, great stuff. It's awesome. But I really bought the course because I wanted to get on a call with those guys. I really did. <laughs> so <laughs> very good. it was like 500 bucks for the, for the call. And I was like, that is cheap. 
Okay. 500 bucks, <laughs> 500 bucks for a call with Zuby and Jose. So wow. I bought that thing and then um, gone to call with Jose. Since then, he's become a really good uh, advisor, a really good mentor in a lot of ways. And then gone to call with Zuby. He expedited a lot of a lot of my speed as well, not just from like his retweets, but like there are just some key pieces of advice that seem so simple that people just gloss over. But I took like one of I took Zuby's advice to heart because he said something that I think is one of the reasons why I've been able to grow my Twitter account the way it is right now. And it seems so simple. He's like, just be timely. He doesn't have anything on the scheduler or whatever it is. But it's just like, be timely, be kind of like in touch with what the times are at that moment of time, right? Talk maybe about that stuff, but just get the feel of it. For me, I'm like, I'm like, what's the energy like out there right now? What's the energy like? And what do I feel like talking to this energy for, you know? So Ed, one of Zuby's like big pieces of advice was just to be timely, shoot from the hip. And then I was just like, okay, cool. So with that being said, I do two things. So obviously... You know, I'm talking to the founder of uh, one of the founders of Hype Fury, right? So I use Hype Fury and I use it like religiously. I'm on it every day. Actually, my, my beginning of my days is kind of like scheduling out my tweets, but not just scheduling them out, but just like, you know, reworking them, right? What's going to hit at this time? What's not going to hit? Hmm. Do I feel good about this one? Do I not feel good about this one, right? And posting like whatever of my friends retweets I want up there. But as these things are scheduling out, if I come up with a like a really fire tweet, I have no problems tweeting on top of myself. I have no problems tweeting on top of anything, right? I will be prolific. So I have schedulers going out and I have my own thoughts going out too. Hmm. So with those things both in combined and the fact that I'm talking in a timely way, I have to say like if I didn't get that advice from Zuby in the very first place, I, I don't know what I'd be doing at this point. But that was like super key. Interesting. And so Zuby is basically saying it's, it's not just, you know, look at the news, but also, you know, if it's 9 a.m., don't talk about going to bed, talk yeah. about your, your morning coffee, something like that. Can you take us through that? I don't know how many people are going to be watching this right now because this is stuff I'd never told anybody. So literally when I'm scheduling things, I am looking at not just timeliness of like the mood of what's going on in out there in the world, but also like timeliness in terms of like, where the heck are you at at that moment of time when you're getting this tweet? Low key secret. I'll tell you this right now. Like when it's like morning time, I like to keep things like short and punchy, especially like very early in the morning. I don't want to give people too much to think about. Right. So I want to give something that's nice, easy, digestible, and something that can just like hit the point right away because I don't want them to think at 7am in the morning. When it comes to nighttime though, I'll tell you one cool thing I do. I I write about sleep at like for my last tweet at 8.04. My last tweet goes out at like 8.04 p.m. usually. So I'll I'll write something about sleep. I'll be like, um, sleep is the lead domino in which all good things happen, right? And I'm talking about sleep because people are going to go to sleep around close to that time. So I try to time my tweets like that a little bit. And I say Doobie taught me that one. But he did teach me the idea of just like being timely with the world at this moment. So I took that in a different way or I took that in the way of what he talked about. But I also took it in a little bit of a different way. And I like to think of myself as like sort of empathetic to a certain degree. I can feel people's feelings. I don't know, you know, and and whatever. But I'll just be like, okay, what's the world trying to tell me at this point? What does the world need to hear? You know, 
and then I'll just post something that I feel fits. Hmm. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. A lot of the times it does, you know? It's weird, but I'm willing to take that chance. For I'm actually willing to take the chance that something I say is going to completely flop or something that I say is going to completely just get like a bunch of like carb zealots after me or you know, keto. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm willing to take that chance. Good. So how many times per day do you tweet? I have to say like I can tweet anywhere between 14 to 20 times, if not more than that. If you look at my like engagement though, right? It's literally like 25,000. Wow. So I looked at it like this as well, right? I looked at it like this. So every engagement tweet that you have with someone else, whether it's just like sending them an emoji or commenting, I mean, that counts as a tweet. So I found a very cool correlation a little bit, and I'm probably shooting myself in the foot because I'm engaging too much, but for every tweet I have, whether it's an engagement or whether it's a tweet, it seems like my follower count almost correlates a little bit. And I was noticing that in the very beginning. Now I don't have to worry about it because I've got 28,000. Wow. The account, I'm not going to say it's going to grow automatically, but I'm not going to be able to keep up. But in the beginning, I had a one tweet per one follower, pretty much. And I didn't plan that. It just happened because I was engaging so much with everybody that was engaging with my tweets. So you schedule about 10 tweets and then between four and another 10 off the hip? Yeah. So I probably do about like, yeah, anywhere between like four to 10 off the hip. But now I'm like starting to become like a little bit more strategic. You know, I'm like, come on, Dan, like save some for later. So mm. I try to at least like have one full day scheduled before I get to that day, mm. at least. And then if I have any inspiration, I'll just like shoot it out. But I got to say that my strategy is not changing. Basically, it's just like 10 to 12 tweets off of Hype Fury and anywhere between four to 10 tweets off of my hit. For a lot of people, I think it's hard, you know, it's, for me even, well, I'm not a native English speaker, but still I can probably, you know, between three and five decent tweets a day I can manage. And I think a lot of people have like an issue with getting, you know, high quality tweets out. What, what's your method of, of getting to 10 tweets at least a day? I believe very much in hacking. Not, okay, not hacking in the sense of like uh, actual like hacking, like biohacking or computer hacking, but hacking what you say, right? So sometimes I'll be typing and I'll have like three lines and then I get to the point and I'm just like, I'm just going to get to the point anyway. So I just post whatever I got to, right? So I personally feel that Good writing is a part of it, but also just like hacking your words as much as possible. Just like take away as much as you can and just get straight to the damn point. And what I would also say is, is that people will be like, that's platitude right? No, you're just posting platitudes and whatever. And you know what? Like when people say that to me, I'm just like, well, you know what? It took me about 24 years to get to that platitude, literally. All right. Like I'm not talking <laughs> platitudes just because I want to talk platitudes. Like literally I say these things because I actually believe in them because of the stuff that I've been experiencing in my life. So yes, you know, we do these platitude things, but also, you know, I think about my tribe as well. So I want to actually relay at least like a little bit of a personal story of mine, at least like maybe one time a day, you know, just like one every other day or something like that. Because in that sense, it's like, you have these personal experiences that are just, they're so different than everyone else. I remember I was posting this thing about the fact that I moved out of my house at 29, right? And uh, I also posted about the fact that I got married at 38 and I got my first kid at 40. Yeah. 
And then people are like, whoa, that's horrible or whatever it is. But I don't care. Like you have all these like very distinct experiences that are so different than anyone else. It could be, I remember uh, reading something where they were in the Bosnian war or something like that. They were, they are kind of like whatever it was. And it's just these little stories that we have that we think are just like, you know, we're, we're just like, it's just a part of our life, but people are really interested, mm-hmm. you know, even me living in the Philippines, it gets people to, to see you past the platitude yeah. and to see exactly who you are as a real person. Yeah. Right. And I actually think I remember you, you posted something about your, your dad before. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when, when you posted something about him, that made me feel so much closer to you. And mm-hmm. it made me, it made me want to see exactly what you were going to say again after that. You know, mm-hmm. so I think I do like a hundred things to be honest, but I would say timeliness is a factor. Personality is a factor. Cutting down your words is a factor. And someone, I, I remember someone saying on Twitter is like, I have no time to come out with 10 tweets a day. Someone said that like literally complaining. And, <laughs> and then I was just, I did, you know, you know, when you approach someone on Twitter, you don't want to be like, well, dude you're kind of being a little bit of a bitch right now, you know, like they're just (laughs) going to take that the wrong way. But my thing is this, if you think you can tweet anything, Mm -hmm. because you probably had these like short choppy little thoughts, like whatever it is, right. If you think, and you have these thoughts, put them on Twitter because other Mm -hmm. people are thinking about them. True. And I think, you know, people follow you because of, you know, they they can't follow you because of your platitudes, Mm -hmm. but I think They'll, they'll stay because of your character, you know, yes. who you are. The thing is, is that you see other accounts doing, <laughs> you see other accounts just posting like, plat, you know, just mad platitudes, right? Nothing personal or whatever it is. And that's cool. And they do get a lot of engagement and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, you know, I just find it funner when you treat Twitter as your personal journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you're having fun with it and you're learning and you're putting out yourself out there into the world and it is who you are. And if anyone tries to like say anything about it or whatever, it's like, it's a person on the internet, you know, but, but yeah, you should share yourself as much as possible and not just like your platitude stuff. You should share who you are and, and what makes you who you are. How did you come to, you know, like categories uh, where you tweet about? Okay. I, I start first with the person that I talk to. So that could be one of three, I don't know about three, but it could be me right now. I literally learn a lesson at that moment of time. And I just like put it on Twitter because I, I just learned that lesson. That's usually like, I learned a lot of lessons. So it's like 60%. The other one is 20 year old me. If I were to say anything to the 20 year old version of myself, this is what I would say. The other one is my niche, which is entrepreneurs. I feel like they should be the highest performing versions of themselves. I feel like entrepreneurs are the mental athletes of our generation. And if they don't treat themselves as such, then they're shooting themselves in the foot. There's also another secret. It's like not a secret, but when I engage with people, they give me great ideas for the rest of my tweets. So my comments to other people have become some of the best tweets I've ever had in my entire life. So if I actually like, someone makes a question or a comment on my tweet, I'll comment on it. And then sometimes I'll, I'll dry run the tweet on the comment, right? So I'll post it. I'm going to see exactly how many people actually like that comment, right? And then 
I'll take that tweet. If it got like 20 likes, 25 likes, whatever it is, just off of a comment, I'm going to schedule it maybe like four or five days later. And then those have become like my best tweets, like the responses back to people commenting on my shit. Yeah, I've, I've had that too as well. Yeah, I think uh, engaging with your audience is important. Well, one, because, you know, it's a social medium, you know, it's not a one-way street, but it also, you know, it gets you to a mental state that's beyond your own and that'll create, you know, the next level tweets. Yeah, man, it's it's the Ouroboros, everything just feeds itself. And with engagement too, you're so right. It's a social platform. So a lot of times I have just people saying like, I can't believe you've replied back to my tweet, right? Even if it's like an emoji. And that's where a lot of my 25,000 tweets come from. But, <laughs> but I have this philosophy with social and I just think people want to be seen, whether they're commenting or whether whatever it is. So I just want them to be seen. You know, that's all I want, to, want them to do or want them to feel. Yeah. And so... You're at like 28,000 followers right now. Yes. You actually, do you like plug a lot of your um, sales tweets or do you refer people to your website? Because I see your link in your bio. Is it everything you do? I just post before and afters at this moment. That's it. You know, and people uh, just go on my profile and they click the link in the bio. That is literally it. And I'll, I'll, I'll be quite honest. Like, you know, money is not the reason like, I'm tweeting, actually. It's not. And I'm coming to Twitter, actually, from a position where I'm like, you know, if the money comes, that's great. I have enough at this point. I'm going to get more, yada, yada, yada. You know, I know, right? But my only focus on Twitter at this very moment is literally on growth. It's not on monetization whatsoever. Not. And that was one of the best pieces of advice that even Zuby and Ed gave me. It's just like, it's okay not to monetize. If I focused on monetization after I hit 10K or whatever it is, then I don't. I would not be at 28K right now. No. So I'm kind of, I guess you could say my, my whole strategy is like slow play. I have the honey. If you like it, you can come and get the honey, right? But I'm not actively going out there and trying to get like business or anything like that. And that actually relates to how I tweet because the way I tweet and the way I engage, it's only for more growth. That's it. But you did find like, you know, the almost holy grail or when you post before and afters, that's like a really good trigger for people to get in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Social proof is huge. And, uh, and I say it all the time, man. It's like, if you got receipts, show them as much as possible. And then I do believe that's what will set me and everyone else apart from everyone else on Twitter. If you actually show your clients results and you're working with clients, then guess what? You know, people would be like, hey, I saw what you did with that guy. I want the same thing. And so what's your long-term game? I just see myself changing the world in my own small little way. And uh, to me, that actually means, number one, I have this initial goal for this particular business to help the lives of 100,000 entrepreneurs, help the bodies and lives of 100,000 entrepreneurs, because that means that every single entrepreneur I work with has about 100 to 1,000 people that they are servicing as well. So multiply that, I am able to help a million people by helping 100,000 people. That's number one. Number two is to basically spread the platform and my platform, whether it's on social, Twitter, wherever it goes after this, and to really use it to spread a message of growth, improvement, and positivity 
I see myself literally talking to millions of people and doing my part to bring at least some semblance of positivity to a world that seems to have lost it right now. So I want to be that beacon of light for a lot of people. And Twitter is going to be the first thing that I'm going to be focusing on to make that happen. Hmm. Interesting. And so I guess as, as like a virtual coach, or I don't know how you how you say it, but you can help more people than when you work in a gym. You already use probably a lot more tools than a gym uses to track, um, you know, growth. And, uh, yeah. and are you planning on like productizing more stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the way in which I need to reach more people is not necessarily like coaching is very, it's a very high touch type of service. So even when I say a hundred thousand, like that's no, that's like not sneezing right there. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you do put in the time and you service these people, right, that's, that's actually a lot. So mm-hmm. the next part of like reaching these millions of people is to productize myself and to, and to basically give them the systems and everything that I'm using with my current clients to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Although I do believe highly in customization. I do believe that they should be customized. You know, they should be working with a mechanic or a coach, but yeah, productization is like, I would say 2021 is the next step. So if somebody's a 25 high, high school dropout in debt, but he's very interested in, uh, in uh, health and going to the gym, mm. what kind of advice would you, would you give him to you know, follow the same path as you? I would say control the one thing that you have control over right now, which is the choices that you have with yourself and your body. You have no control over anything else. You don't. You like to think that you do, but you don't. The only thing that we can control in this world is literally ourselves and what we do with the choices that we make with our bodies. So for me, the number one step to personal power is to get your health in order. And if you don't have your health in order, then how can you say, how can you even like call yourself a master of self? And how can you even like reach your full potential if you don't even know what it's like to, to have a physically strong, the physically strongest body that you can ever have in your entire life. So I'd say the first step is, Get your health habits in order. Make yourself a healthy person because that is going to be the number one meta habit that bleeds into every single area of your life. After that, I would say learn entrepreneurship, get a side hustle, learn what it's like to make money online and to make your first dollar online. Because and the reason I say body transformation and entrepreneurship is because they are both where you derive the most life lessons from. I look at entrepreneurs as literally like sometimes like Buddha, you know, like it's a type of like mental hoops that they have to just jump on a regular basis. The type of decisions that they have to make, the amounts of like emotion and stress that they have to manage. Right. So if you're not going to be playing pro basketball, if you don't have the athletics to go play for a premier league or whatever it is, if you don't have the vocal chops to be a musician, then entrepreneurship is the second path to freedom. And it's also the second path to mental and physical freedom too. So yeah, I would say number one, focus on your body. Number two, focus on your money. Nice, man. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, man. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss next week's episode. Also, if you've enjoyed the show help us out by leaving an iTunes review. Go to hypefury.com review and leave an iTunes review. Thanks.